Well, that's where we're picking up the story and, uh, of, of Exodus. And last week, Pastor Josh did a great job talking about um, chapter 1 and Moses' birth. Today, we're really going to talk about how God chose Moses. And we're going to talk about being special. And what does it mean to be special? How, how are we special? How are we not special? And one of the things I think it's, it's on every children's program, uh, maybe not every children, many children's programs, they'll say that you are special. So I'm here to tell you that you're not, okay? Um, there are almost 8 billion people on earth. There's 7.8 billion people on earth. They think in the next one to three years, we will hit 8 billion. And, and here's what that means. Major League Baseball, if you are a one in five million person talent in baseball. You're better. If you pick five million people, you would be better than all of them. You're not good enough to play Major League Baseball because there's only 780 Major League Baseball players. There's 7.8 billion people on earth. That's one out of every 10 million. You got to be a one in 10 million talent to play Major League Baseball. And, and it's true about other sports as well. Um, golf, actually, men and women combined is even more elite and more rare than that. And professional football. And, th and then you go into other areas, singing or, or artistry. And, and you know, I, I have some kids that I think they're one in a thousand talents with, with drawing and painting and, and art in different ways. And you know what that means? It means they can't make a living doing art because... Nobody cares if you're one in a thousand. Nobody cares if you're even one in a million. Isn't good enough. So you're not special, but not only that, it's worse than that. Even if you are special, you're not remembered. Um, here's a statistic. If, uh, how, many of you, how many of you like football? Raise your hand if you're a football fan. There we go. We got some. Okay. If you're a football fan, you might know who I'm talking about. This is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He has the highest winning percentage of any quarterback, and he has the record for the, long, the, the longest um, yards for, for uh, pass attempts, and he's won seven championships. Do you know who I'm talking about? Exactly, Otto Graham. Yeah, who did you think I met? Tom Brady. Tom Brady, <laughs> guy was, you know, so why has no one heard, actually, in, in staff meeting, we had like one football geek knew who Otto Graham was, so some of you out there are like, oh yeah, Otto Graham, ah, I knew that. All right, why don't we know that Otto Graham, how come that isn't a household name? One of perhaps the best quarterback of all time, one of the reasons we haven't heard of him is he played for the Browns, but no, back when they were good. In the 1940s and 50s. And so we haven't heard of him because he played football 70 years ago. This is how popular Tom Brady will be 70 years from now. Like Otto Graham. A hundred years from now, no one will remember anything about me except probably my date of birth and my date of death and my name. And that's, I would say that is true probably of every single person watching online or in this room today. No one will know anything about you. And not only that, they won't care. And so how do you live a life of meaning and significance? How do you, how do you make a difference? 
if, if this is what happens even to the most amazing special people among us. And that's where we're going to look at Moses' life because Moses was someone who is more famous now than he was 3,400 years ago when he was alive. And, and so the life of Moses, and here's where we're picking it up. He, he was raised in the household of Pharaoh as a prince of Egypt, and now he's an adult. And one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, and looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Hebrew is another uh, word for a Jew or an Israelite. And the man said, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. Here's the first thing we learn about this incredibly significant life Moses led, and that is that you may let your past define you, but God doesn't let your past define you. Moses' past, at this point in the story, is a murderer who ran away. And he probably thought when, when he attacked this Egyptian and delivered this this Israelite from this injustice, he probably thought, I am in the position, the best position to help my my countrymen. There's no Jew in a better position than I am. I'm raised in Pharaoh's household. I've been educated. And at this point in time, he's, he's about 40 years old. So he's not some teenager like blowing off steam. I mean, he is a respected, important part of the Egyptian nobility. And he says, man, I can do something. And he tried and he failed. And then he ran 200 miles away out to a desert, nomadic, barren region to be a shepherd. And, and God in this story is going to appear to him and say, Moses, I want to use you. And Moses' response is, don't you know what I've done? I'm a murderer. I'm a failure. I'm a runner. Like, doesn't that? And so often we let our past define who we are. Who are you? I'm divorced. I've heard people introduce themselves that way. Who are you? I'm a failure. You know, so often in our lives, we, we, we do things like that. And I was thinking um, a couple months ago, I, I, we were having communion, and, and I forgot the, the box. I'm supposed to bring this box from, from the offices to the church, and all the campuses do that. It's wonderful. The, the office fairies fill this box with everything you need for Sunday, and it just appears there, and all you have to do is pick it up and take it. We have just a great a great central services and a great staff back at, at uh, you know, in downtown, downtown Montrose, <laughs> down in the city, you know, and, and so I was here, communion, it was communion Sunday morning, we didn't have anything for communion, and because I forgot the box, and so I'm, I'm and, and in that moment, I'm just like, Bob, you're so stupid, 
You always forget this stuff. You're always, I mean, you have so little to remember and you forget. And what kind of, you're such an idiot. And you, you, I, have this, I have this recording that whenever I do something that I think I fail at, and it can be something little, just like that. I mean, that was not that significant. Price Chopper is a couple miles away. The church isn't that far. We can go get it. It's not the end of the world. But I have this recording, and it says the same thing every time. Bob, you're stupid. You're a failure. You're, you're... And so many of us have that recording because of things that have happened in our past. You say, I had a chance with my kids, and I failed. And now What? I'm on my third marriage, or I'm not on my third marriage anymore because I failed. And I, I'm on the brink of bankruptcy, or I've declared bankruptcy because I'm a financial failure as well, and I can't provide, and I can't, can't be who I'm, I, I need to be, and I'm just a failure. God says in this passage, he shows us you know, this is a real story about what really happened 3,400 years ago, but it, it was recorded to teach us lessons about today. And one of those lessons is, it doesn't matter what your past is. God is not constrained and restrained by, by who you were and what you've done. Your past informs how you are. So you want to know how you are the way you are, you need to look in the past and ask questions and what happened and, and, and that, that helps you figure out how you are, but it doesn't have to define who you are, right? Because God can define who you are. And this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, or thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, or slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if I was going to stop it there, it would reinforce what most people think the Bible teaches about us as human beings. Most people think the Bible teaches, yeah, if you mess up, if you're a sinner, if you do those bad things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. Look, there's a period. But in the Greek language that this was originally written, there was no period. And the Apostle Paul who wrote this, he was known for very long run-on sentences. Like 20 verses long, he has this one sentence in Ephesians. It's crazy. He just kept talking and talking and talking. And so this verse, this isn't the end of the sentence. It goes on, and I'm so glad it goes on. And, and that is what some of you were, but you were washed it means God made you clean. He cleaned away all that gross sin that was in your life. Because you think of that list. Any of you greedy ever? Amen. I think we all fit on that list. Sexual immorality. Slanderers. Have you ever said something terrible that wasn't true about someone else just to hurt their reputation or, or to hurt them? You know, and, and on and on, all of that list of sins, you know, we're guilty. And he says, that's what you were, but you're washed clean of that. You are sanctified. That means you are made holy. You are unholy and wicked, and now you're holy. You are justified in the courtroom of God. He put his gavel down, and he said, you're innocent. How? Because and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And, and so, 
your past doesn't define you. And I do have to make a time out right here because I'm only talking to people who have asked Jesus to be your Savior and given Him your life as your Lord. If that's what you've done, then your past doesn't define you. Jesus defines you. But if you haven't done that yet, then that is what you are. It's not what you were. It's what you still are. Sexually immoral. Men who have sex with men. Swindler. Slanderer. Idolater. Adulterer. Greedy. And everything else in the list. And you're still that because you haven't been forgiven, because you're still living your life for you. But man, you turn to Jesus Christ and then you become who he says you are, loved, forgiven. That song we just sang, I, I'm chosen, I'm not forsaken. You know, we're, we're his child. We're loved by him. We're, we're recipients of his grace. That's what some of you were. You may let your past define you, but God doesn't. God isn't running from your past. He's using it. So Moses' past seems like a negative. Okay, why are you choosing a wanted man? Like if he shows his face, he might be killed. You know, Moses didn't know that wasn't going to happen. You know, but God says, no. I want to use his past because I'm sure he spoke flawless Egyptian. And, and I'm sure he knew the culture. And, and he certainly loved his people that he left and his sister that had, you know, saved his life and been there when he was little and his brother and all of this. And, and God says, you know, I want to use your past. I don't want you to keep running from your past. And he wants to do that in our lives as well. There's going to be a baptism next Sunday in the first service. And this is the service I want to push people to because there's more people that come to the first service. But if you want to witness that baptism, come to the next, the next Sunday to the first service. Elaine is going to be baptized. She's a woman in her 60s. She came up from Florida to help her sister recover from knee surgery. And a woman in Florida led her to Christ. But this woman goes to a Spanish-speaking church, and Elaine doesn't speak Spanish, so that doesn't work out real well. So she's been watching online for, I think, a year or two, and she watched a young teenage girl a few Sundays ago get baptized who didn't run from her past but shared her past. And some of the awfulness that she'd been through and how God showed up in that, and how God loves her, and how, how God has sent Tina Decker and some of the other teens in the youth group, and, and, and God working in her parents' life even, and bringing them back from the brink of, of chaos and sin and addiction. And, and Elaine said, I heard this teenage girl tell her story and get baptized. Not run from her story, but tell her story. And she said, what's my excuse? As a six-year-old woman, I need to get baptized. And I need to tell my story and not run from it. And so next Sunday, she's going to do that. that. God doesn't want, you know what? Because sin is so shameful, right? We want to hide it. And guilt is so yucky and awful. And we want to we forget it. But God says, no, I'm going to use a murderer. I'm going to use a quitter. I'm going to use someone who was impulsive and didn't think things through. 
for my glory. God isn't running from your past. Here's the second thing, and we're going to see this in the next couple verses in chapter 3 about Moses. He's got all these excuses for why God can't use him because Moses is focused on his own limitations and God is saying, you need to get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on me because you have limitations, but I don't. And so you may let your limitations define you, but God doesn't. And here's how that goes. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. It's not even his flock. The priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness looking for grass came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. And... uh, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then next, I'm going to skip a couple verses, but God says, this is what I want you to do. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, God is saying, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And and this is where, this is the assignment. God says, "I, I want you to do this and I want you to rescue them. And this is where Moses begins to remind God or let God know of some things that he must have forgotten about himself, his limitations. Number one, he says, I'm just not special. God, I, I, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm not even tending my own flock of sheep. It's my father-in-law's. Like, I have no inheritance. I have no, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm a wanted man. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. Who am I? God doesn't argue with Moses and say, no, 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 Moses, you are special. No, he doesn't. He lets that go because it's true. Who are you? Yeah, you aren't really all that. You tried doing it on your own and it didn't work. God says, no, it's not about who you are. It's about who I am, and I will go with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That is an interesting sign, isn't it? Moses, how do you know that God spoke to you and that God wants you to do this? And he said, well, the sign God gave was a year or two after I obeyed him, I would meet him again on this mountain. So you're operating on a sign that hasn't happened yet? And God does this with a lot of us, I think, a lot of times. How do I know? God, how do I know I can trust you? And how do I know I can obey you? And God says, well, after you trusted and obeyed me, then you'll see that it was my way and that it was the right thing. And, and so, but, but it's interesting, he's He says, I will be with you. If you have an infinite God, and then you have, add to an infinite God, 
maybe a person who's pretty talented. On a scale of 1 to 10, like they're, they're a 9. And so you add an infinite God to a 9 person, you get infinite results, right? Infinite specialness, infinite awesome results. But what if you start with an infinitely special God and on a scale of 1 to 10, you're a negative 5, and you add a negative five to an infinitely special God, what is the result? An infinitely special result. It's the same thing. It doesn't matter what you add to infinity. It equals infinity. It doesn't change the equation at all. And, and God is, is, is talking to Moses here, and I think he's speaking to us as well. It doesn't matter how talented you are. In fact, sometimes that talent holds you back. Because you think you can do it, and you think you were the reason it all came about. One of the things I pray, prayed this morning, pray it often on a Sunday morning, and I, I try to remember it on Sunday afternoon too. God, help me to preach better than I can. And, and I just need to remember that on Sunday afternoon and not be like, man, I was smoking today, wasn't I? Like... <laughs> I don't know, actually, I never have used the frame off the chain. <laughs> Is that what he said? I said, I don't, I don't even know what that means, but I think it's good. I think it's good, but, you know, it's not about us. It's about the God who will be with us, and that's why it doesn't matter how special you are. Um, your limitations don't define you. Limit number two that Moses shares here, we'll see it, is I don't know much about God. And, and this, I, I don't think I ever grasped this before this week, but Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Do you know how ignorant Moses was of God? He didn't even know his name. You see, we think these Bible characters, we think of them as, as they are like at the end of their life and don't understand that they're not like that at the beginning of their life or the middle. Moses, there was no Bible. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. There was no Bible. And there was oral tradition that was passed on from, from you know, generation to generation. How much of that Moses picked up, we don't know at this point. But he doesn't even know. I, I almost guarantee you that every adult in this room and listening online knows more about God than Moses did. You know the name Jesus Christ? He didn't know that name. Some of you know what God is going to say his name is. I am. That I am. What a weird name. But we knew that. He didn't know that. And, and, and so it, a lot of you, you might think like, God wants me to tell others about him? I feel like I'm in remedial spiritual class as it is. And I've talked to a number of people who've been coming to this church recently, and that's, that's kind of what they've said. I'm not even sure. I, I you know, my cousin, my, I have these other family members, they seem to be so far ahead of me. Everybody seems to know what's going on, and I don't even know what's going on. You're exactly the kind of person God can use. Because God can use anybody. Can use Moses. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
Limit number three, no one will listen to me. That is literally what Moses says. Moses answers, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. Any of you feel like nobody listens to you at work? Like, you're like, I said that, you know? You know what happens to preachers sometimes when you have guest preachers? A guest preacher will preach, and then somebody will come up and say, man, that was an amazing message, Pastor Bob. I had never known this. I'd never heard this ever before. And I'm thinking, I say that twice a year. Like, nobody listens to me, you know? You're a mother here. You're like, nobody listens to me. Kids don't listen. Dad doesn't listen, you know? Like, and, and this is, Moses is saying, God, people don't listen to me, you know? And they're not going to believe me. How are they going to believe me? And so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. How many of you know how to pick up a snake? Raise your hand if you know how to pick up a snake. Okay, some of you don't. Okay, we'll instruct you. (laughs) Do you pick up a snake by the tail? No. No, you pick it up by the head because you pick it up by the snail. Snail. That's what you want to pick up is snails and not tails of snakes. Pick it up by the tail. It bends and it will bite you. And, and so why would you do that? And so, but God is saying basically to Moses, he's, he's saying, do you trust me? Pick it up by the tail. And God says that in our lives as well. He asks us to obey him and he doesn't tell us to pick up snakes. Okay, that's a... West Virginia thing, okay? It's not a Bridgewater Church thing. No snake handling. But he asks us to pick other things up by the tail. He asks us to tell the truth. And you might be here this morning and say, but if I tell the truth, my wife will leave me. If I tell the truth, my kids will hate me. If I tell the truth, I will be fired. God says, pick it up by the tail. Tell the truth. But my reputation and people will think awful of me and pick it up by the tail. You can trust God. And that's what Moses does. And he obeys him even when God doesn't make any sense. He trusts God and he reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Here's the thing about Moses' staff. We have all this mythology about staffs now. Merlin's staff, Lord of the Rings, you know, Gandalf's, and, you know, Suroman's staff, and Harry Potter, the stick, magic stick wand thing, and all of those, you know, none of that, none of that was back then. This is the story that gave birth to all the myths. When God said to Moses, what's in your hand? It'd be like him talking to a plumber. What's in your hand? PVC pipe? (laughs) Throw it on the ground. All right. In fact, it was worse than that because a stick, how how much does it cost to get a walking staff? Do you know how much it costs? $12.99. I can get them for free. I just walk out in the woods. 
like break one over my there we go I got one now it's not as pretty as yours no but and Moses's staff it didn't have this glowing orb on top of it you know it wasn't this you know scrimshaw bone you know whalebone what it was just a stick and God is saying I can use Whatever is in your hand, if it's a, a worthless stick, I can use it. And, and two weeks ago was so incredibly encouraging to me because it was don't just go to church, be the church. Some of you got the wrong memo. You, you, you thought it was don't go to church Sunday. It wasn't. It was don't just go to church. So we were supposed to come here and then immediately leave. Actually, some of you went right to your projects and that was wonderful, but... Um, but so we came and we left and into the community, and I feel like this is, this is kind of what God is, was saying that day. What's in your hand? A hammer. Well, you can build then a, a, a handicap ramp for a woman in a trailer out toward Elk Lake. What, what's in your hand? Well, we had people from five years old to 90 years old participating in this, and some might have actually been younger than five. There's some kids drawing. What's in your hand? A pen. And we had a a 90-year-old woman and her young friends (laughs) writing over 50 cards to nursing home workers and to people who have cancer and encouraging them. What's in your hand? We We had people with saws and lopers and going to, to the school and doing some, some projects at the Montrose High School. We had some men, what's in your hand? Stones. They went over and 91-year-old Korean veteran helped redo his rock wall on the engi- and, and they, in his driveway entrance and helped him out. And what, what's in your hand? A bunch of women cooked meals, made, made over 20 meals for people with cancer, for people who are discouraged, for I even got one coming home. It was 1 o'clock, we were going to get peanut butter and jelly. It was what was on the menu for lunch. And we had this wonderful hot meal waiting for us on the porch. And God, God, says, God is asking you, what is in your hand? What is it that you can do? And two weeks ago, what a great example of that. God using anything that we could do. There was a blind man that that these folks there helped. And, and because they can see. And that's more than what he had. And, and so that's, that's what God wants to do with us. And I guarantee you, I know God can use will. And how do I know God can use will? Because God can use a stick. And God can use Bob and Ben and Steve because God can use a stick. And so he can use all of us. And, and so, you know, these, these excuses we come up with and these limits that we think we have, I don't have what it takes is what Moses was saying. And, this, and he didn't have what most of you don't think you have either. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He's saying, when I was a kid, I wasn't good at speaking. When I was in Egypt, in the past, I wasn't good at speaking. And and since you've spoken to me, I haven't gotten any better. And this, we don't know, this might have taken him two minutes to get out. Maybe he had a stuttering impediment. Maybe, I, I, I don't know what his problem was. But he says, I just am not good at talking. 
And God wants to use people who are not good at talking to go out and talk and tell people about Jesus. He is sending you as his messenger, just as he was sending Moses. And you might say, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor Bob, professional speaker. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but, you know, but it's what he said to Moses. You know, we, we, we think Moses is like Charlton Heston. And, and in the movie, he was pretty eloquent. But he wasn't in real life. And you don't have to be either. And he can, he can use that. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. The impact that we can have on others isn't because of our past and it isn't because of our abilities and it isn't because of whatever. It's because God is with us. I will go with you. And if God is with you, you're going to accomplish amazing, extraordinary things that will never be forgotten. Even in the difficult and, and the problems, you know, the, the one thing that held me back from just really rejoicing on don't just go to church, be the church Sunday two weeks ago was we had a young man, about 19 years old, Gavin, fell 16 feet off a roof onto a driveway and had a gash above his eye um, that needed to be sewn up, um, broke. I don't know what the bone is that he broke, but as a 19-year-old, he described it to me. He said, I broke my butt. <laughs> so it wasn't his tailbone, but something it's, it's fairly painful to sit um, and to stand for any length of time. Um, in addition to that, he's got some problem with his hip. He went to see the orthopedic. So, I mean, it was just like he, he came down hard. The people that were there, it was like, oh, that, that hurt. His brother got him in the car. They rushed him off to the emergency room. But even in that, the, the others who were there, Kip and Terry McCary and, and Lura, and they gathered the homeowner together, Sharon, and her mentally handicapped son, Brad, and they prayed with them together. And I'd be willing to bet I'm not sure anyone has prayed out loud with those two individuals in years. I could be wrong about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. And so God even used that and just making Sharon and Bradley feel like, you know what, you're part of the family. Why don't you pray with us? And then they go to the hospital, and of course it's Susquehanna County, so the one hospital sent them to another hospital because he was, needed some help that they couldn't provide. And so at both hospitals, they're telling people, down in Wilkes-Barre, they're telling people, you know, you have to explain to the nurses and, you know, what happened. Well, so we had don't go to church, don't just go to church Sunday. And they're like, what? Yeah, so we, instead of being in the church and listening to about how people serve and love God, we just went out in the community to serve and love God. So I was helping put on a roof over this porch, and they're like, What? And, and the church paid for all the supplies and the materials, and we brought the materials, and we were just, and they're like, what kind of church is that? I want to go to that church. Now, the person who said that lives two hours away, so I don't think that's going to happen, but you know what? Even in the negative, even in the difficulties, God uses it for his glory. There's been a number of people in our church family who God has elevated in a way that 
They never wanted to be elevated. He's given them cancer. When you have cancer and you're told that you only have a short while to live, people listen to you. And there are individuals in our church, Deb Kessler, Mary Zinzavich, Bob Winterstein, and others. And now I feel like I have to name all of them, but I'm not going to. They have an incredible joy. And they have cancer. And people look at that and they're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. And these are not special people in the sense that they're not like billionaires and they weren't professional athletes or professional musicians and they're not one in a million kind of folks. They're ordinary, regular people. Acts 4.13, it says this. It says, they took note of the apostles. After they beat them, they took note that they were ordinary, unschooled men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. That's what made the difference. They said, these are regular guys. How are they turning the world upside down? They're normal. They're not special. But we don't have to be because God says, I will go with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you're with us right now. Lord, I just ask that if there's anyone here that's holding out on you, that isn't ready to trust you with their life, isn't ready to ask Jesus to to pay for their sins on the cross and repent and turn from them, God, that you would, that you would break through whatever is holding them back so that you can define that man or woman today and define them as forgiven and define them as loved and define them as your child. And, and God, I just ask that those of us who know you, Lord, help us to live like you're with us and to go in that confidence. God, this is one of the biggest benefits of prayer in my own life is it gives me courage. Because when I pray, I'm reminded that you're with me. And so it gives me the courage to just talk to people and be willing to risk saying stupid things and, and, and fail even because you're with me. And it's not about me. It's about you and about what you want to do. God, use us, send us from here. Lord, I think of this manly meal even. Lord, what's in your hand? May it be an invitation card that we can give to someone. I think of individuals. Every time we do, don't just go to church Sunday. They say, man, I want to do this every week. And I say, you can. Lord, help us. Help us to use whatever you've put in our hand. And then, God, you, you you do something amazing through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.